Okay, um, here's another session of Give Gab. And good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you are in the cyber universe. And welcome to Dr. Brian G. McHenry talking about what is consciousness. And that's me. Um, consciousness. I met with a lady yesterday who asked me a question. She said, obviously you know what consciousness is, but what does it mean to your listener? And my answer to her was quite simple. I said, I have to introduce a bit of Irish here to understand. That's the way I talk. I talk a little bit of Irish, not a major amount, and then I talk in English. And I said, consciousness to me means duchus. And that's the word that I have accepted for consciousness. And duchus comes from the phrase du guish, which is the deep inner intelligence of something. So everything has a deep inner intelligence. Be it the intelligence of a place, the intelligence of a tree, the intelligence of an electron the intelligence of the whole universe, the intelligence of a country, the intelligence of a single individual, the intelligence of a group of individuals. And there are many different names for consciousness. And there are many different ways that we can interpret consciousness. But to me, the most important one is Dukas. And Dukas is adapted in the first article of the Irish Constitution as genius. So we can say it's an innate genius. We all have the potential to be fully conscious. We all have the potential to have consciousness in our awareness totally. Now I want to talk a little bit about states of consciousness. Just introduce the concepts a little bit. And we are all familiar with waking state consciousness at least i hope that we are and there are many different uh, ways in which waking state consciousness manifests itself it manifests itself in the brain and through certain physiological neurophysiological processes and then we have the dream state of consciousness and that is um articulated as rapid eye movement, a certain type of neurophysiological process that comes out as the dream state. And then there is the deep sleep state where we have no awareness of anything. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, when I learned to meditate, I was introduced to what is called Turiya, Chituria Chetna. Chetna is, or Chitta, is a Sanskrit word for consciousness. I believe myself that it's possible to use the word Kittiness for consciousness in Irish as well as it's similar to Chitta, but it has a lovely resonance with the phrase Brishan and Dokus Tree Hulav and Kit. The Dukas breaks out through the eyes of the cat. Now, no one in modern Ireland can interpret what that means. But I believe that the cat, 
kit or kitiness is consciousness. It's another word for consciousness. And that the native intelligence, the deep inner intelligence of something, breaks out through the power of consciousness observing something. And I've experienced that myself, and it's a very powerful feeling, that you actually create the reality around you. And there's lots to talk at the moment about quantum mechanics and what we can do and what we can't do and whatever else. And one of the things is that we create our own reality, that our observations collapse the wave function. Our observing of reality collapses the wave function and thereby creates the reality that we live in. But I leave that aside for the moment. We have the fourth major state of consciousness, also called transcendental consciousness. Dukas Tarkem Newell. Tar is to go beyond. Came is a degree, a state. So transcendental is to go beyond the normal three states of waking, dreaming and deep sleep. And when you learn to meditate, when you learn the transcendental meditation technique, you get an immediate awareness of something deep within your own neurophysiology, deep within your own awareness, something which you were not aware of before. And that is why I promote the, trans the Transcendental Meditation program. I'm not a teacher of Transcendental Meditation. I have no affiliation with the Transcendental Meditation movement globally even though I did work for a while on a university project in the United Kingdom. But I see my role as being to bring this knowledge to people and also to investigate this knowledge within our own culture. I believe that we have knowledge of meditation within our own culture and it's lost, it's scattered. And it's a matter of bringing people together so that we can rejuvenate that knowledge and present it alongside Vedic science and modern science as a panacea for the ills that are facing this world at the moment. Coming back to consciousness, when you learn to meditate, when I learned to meditate, I remember thinking at the time that <coughs> this was the first time that anyone had taught me anything new. This was the first time that I had learned something deep within my soul, which was new, which was fresh, which was vibrant, and which gave rise to an extraordinary feeling of peace and calm within my soul. At the time, I was after seven years of most, the most intense research in University College Cork to do to complete my PhD. My mind was addled and the immediate effect was to relax and to become aware of my own physiological processes, to become aware of people, to become friendly with people. And oftentimes I was I was sort of querying the source from which this knowledge came. And I remember when I, or just before I learned, 
I climbed up on the mountain down just north of Skull. I don't know whether it is Hunger Hill. I don't think it's Hunger Hill. I think it's Mount Gabriel. Because there's a an air repeater station on top of it. And I went for a walk and I said to myself, this is either the greatest truth or the greatest fallacy and I have to find out. And I did find out. And it was to be a time before I resolved that dichotomy within my awareness. And it was contribution from lots of different areas, contribution of knowledge, contribution of experience, contribution of personal experience. And one of the greatest experiences that I had was one day at, at, at that time when I was returning to the place where I was staying which was the Standing Stone in Skull in West Cork and I met a family who were going into the building and there was a mother, father, a young child and what I took to be a grandfather and I started chatting with the grandfather now, prior to that, I would have just gone in and not made any comments. But I, this gentleman was getting something out of the car, so I went over to him and had a chat. And it turned out that this gentleman asked me, where did I serve in the army? And I said, um, I was in wherever I articulated to him at the time. I was in Dundalk, I was in Donegal, I was here, there in Dublin. I was in military headquarters, I was an intelligence officer in army headquarters, and so on. And he said, yes, he said, and what's your surname? I said, McHenry. He said, well, let me tell you something. I knew your father, and we sat beside each other in school. Now, I took that as a direct message from my father to trust the veracity of the knowledge. And that, for me, was a very powerful thing, because my journey has not always been easy and when you learn to meditate life becomes <laughs> somewhat more interesting and sometimes people have this notion that oh I meditate and therefore everything is going to be blissful it's not it's going to become more real because your consciousness wakes up and your consciousness wants to experience everything Tahi Avent Askak Rod. So I'm going to leave it there and we'll talk about what is consciousness and what is whatever else the next time. Shine Gur Mahagat Agaslan. Right, um, welcome back to another session of Gyob Gab, and this one is entitled The Fallacy of European Defence. And fallacy, I checked up the meaning of the word just now, is a mistaken belief. And there is a mistaken belief that more money, more arms, more weapons, more soldiers, more integration of defence forces will lead to a stronger defence. It will not. What it leads to is the propensity for war. And I think that the European Union leaders and, the Euro and NATO leaders are destined to enter a war with Russia 
and or China. And that, of course, is very worrying because there is a belief among the European Union that their path is the only right path, that Russia is the only aggressor in this war with Ukraine. Of course, Russia fired the first shot. But, you know, you can argue things one way or the other. Ukraine was destined to head into the European Union. Ukraine was destined to head into NATO. And of course that was a worry for Russia. And it put their back up and whatever else. But analysing the cause of war does not in any way go towards determining the technology which will create peace. And that is what I am about, is articulating about the technology of consciousness which is guaranteed to create peace. And why do I say that something like this is guaranteed? Because basically, as I've said before, I read the research. And the research indicates that if you get 1% of a population practicing the Transcendental Meditation Programme, then you will reduce the level of conflict in an area. You will reduce the level of negativity in society. You will increase positivity in society. And this was first demonstrated in a little village of Baskinta in Lebanon, where they analysed the number of shells coming into the village versus prior to this... um, prior to it achieving 1% of the population practicing the Transcendental Meditation Programme. And they also analysed the number of cells coming into it afterwards. And they found that there was a marked reduction. This was, the remember, just the first, the proclamation of the thesis of Maharishi, who said that meditation would decrease the amount of conflict and it would increase positivity and various other factors like that. And then there were many, many other studies conducted around the world in terms of global assemblies, in terms of local assemblies. And the one which caught my eye as being possibly one of the most significant, it occurred in the Middle East in or about 1983 or 84, when I was actually serving as a peacekeeper in Lebanon, in Tibnin itself. And they set up a group, they being the international TM organization, called for participants participation in a group to check out the, the propensity for a group of meditators and a group practicing the advanced TM City program, including Yogi Flying, to participate in a project which is designed to establish whether or not such a group would have an effect on the conflict in Lebanon, it would have an effect on the quality of life in Israel. And it did. And this particular study was replicated 
on eight different occasions, at least eight different occasions, based on the fact that if you have the square root of 1% of a population, then it will affect conflict, it will, it will have a positive effect on society, and it will decrease things like fires and various other things. And the most recent one of these studies was conducted in New York in um, the early 90s, where it showed that, or New York and Washington actually, where it showed that the square root of 1% could affect even the murder rate in either New York or Washington. And I, I, I need to read up these studies again and get more precise with my information on them. But I was astonished when I heard um, these statistics, when I heard these studies, because I said, how does it work? And what, how it works is very simple. Consciousness is a field. We have the collective consciousness of society, of a group of people, which we're all quite familiar with. You walk into a room and there is a collective consciousness. If that consciousness is stressed, you can feel it immediately. If that consciousness is relaxed, you can feel it immediately. And, excuse me, By influencing the collective consciousness, we influence the totality of consciousness of an area, the totality of consciousness of a country. And a group to create coherence. Coherence means doesn't mean that everyone performs the same action. That's not what coherence means. It means that people's actions are in tune with natural law. They're in tune with the laws of nature. They're in tune with each other. And we all know when people are working together. And I would call a group practicing transcendental meditation or pra practicing meditation. Mehel Mjown. We are all familiar with the concept of Mehel in Ireland, where we get together to do a specific job at a specific time of the year. And in this case, we need to do a specific job at a specific time of the day, twice in, in twice a day, morning and evening. And there are groups around the world who are at present involved in this. And to come back to NATO and come back to European defence, I was listening to uh, Euronews and they have a daily magazine programme and they were being how would I say, bombarded by NATO propaganda. There was a lady speaking from, uh, giving a NATO perspective. And NATO is very avidly trying to take over the European Union. It doesn't like Ireland's stance. Ireland is still a non-affiliated member of NATO. We're in the, the Partnership for Peace, which I believe to be a mistake. But I wouldn't mind if we set up a group within our military to counterbalance our sort of membership of NATO, to counterbalance the necessity to create coherence both within Ireland. I mean, we've recently seen 
Ireland has become totally incoherent. Our health care system is off the charts. Now we say, we say, oh, that's due to the respiratory illnesses that people have. Of course it is, but Ireland needs to be run in a much more efficient manner, in a much better manner, in a much more compassionate manner. And that's not happening at the moment. And the next thing will be something to do with the schools, the next thing will be something to do with the prison service, the next thing will be something to do with the doll. So it goes on and on and on. And we're just repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. Rather than a set, setting up coherence in the country, rather than setting up a group for a government, a group of yogic flyers which will support the actions of the government, it will support the uh, attempts by government to actually govern. And it will give them, it will support our sovereignty, it will support various other things like that. And I'm going to leave that now, and I still have a bit of a cold, and that's why it's a little bit incoherent at the moment. So, Shine Gurmahagad Agaslan. Right, um, welcome to another session of Gub Gab. And this session is called Resolving Ireland. And what I want to do is to highlight here is that there's a huge failure, failure in our mathematical educational system. And this failure affects everyone and everything. There is a notion among those who have some experience of mathematics that the only way to resolve, to solve problems is through logic and the application of stepwise steps to resolve processes in mathematics. But that is not true. There are many, many other ways to resolve computational processes. And these computational processes are not being allowed into our schools. They have not been allowed into our schools since 1996. I first, or 97, that's 26 years ago. I made a submission to the Department of Education. It was never acted upon. The Minister for Education at the time was Michal Martin and he arranged for me to make a presentation to two school inspectors. I chased it up about 10 years later and one of them who had since retired, oh you still want to pursue that? Of course I want to pursue that. What do you think I'm trying to do to resolve the crisis, the current crisis in mathematical education. And the first thing I do when I'm talking about this is I change the word mathematics to computation. Computation is the flow of information from one state to the next state. And it is not a discrete stepwise um, 
process. It is a flow of knowledge. The application of knowledge to go from one state to the next state. And we need that at the moment. Look at our health care system. Our health care system is in absolute chaos. Just because people have gotten a winter bug, could they not have some form of forward planning? But all the planning within the, the health care system seems to be predicated on everything being right, everything being this way, everything being that way. And our health care system is on the brink of collapse. And that's because the people who are involved in the planning are looking for too much the right answer. They do not have the ability to think freely, to think clearly, to think ra not just rationally, but to think computationally. They have not been instructed on how to think computationally about a process. And today I got a feed on my LinkedIn page or LinkedIn profile from the Department of Education looking for um, present or not presentation input. Yet again, this is 26 years later. They are looking for input on numeracy, literacy and digital learning. When are they going to learn to actually implement something that they are told works? When are they going to learn that computational knowledge is much, much deeper, much more profound, much better than logical knowledge in terms of mathematics. And I talk about resolving computational processes because a computational process is never finished, just like running the health service. It is never finished. There is no such thing as a solution to the healthcare crisis. There is a resolution to the current situation and then you move on and you deal with the next situation. I remember when I was in the army, there was a basic dictum in military planning, and that was to develop the situation. And the situation was a specific um, process that you went through to define, in military terms, the terrain, the weather, the mission, and various other things. And you, you arrived at a very distinct process of resolution, of resolving a particular situation. And then you went and you started the whole process again. But there is this fallacious uh, approach to healthcare there is this fallacious approach to governance that you can actually solve something. You cannot solve anything. And how do you actually teach the process of resolution? How you teach the process of resolution is you introduce new knowledge. 
you introduce new approaches to knowledge. You introduce the essence of Vedic mathematics into our educational system. And we have a system of computation which is as old, if not older, than that which is available through Vedic mathematics. I call it Duharvirt, and it uses principles of Fikela, principles of, of um, Dulgish, Altris, Tir, Alonia, that the great desire of the architect is to create a beautiful country. And I am an architect. I am an architect of peace. I am an architect of totality. I am an architect of resolving Ireland. Okay, I'm going to leave that there and we'll see if I can come up with something else to fill in the time. So, Shine Gurub Mahagut August Sloan.